0: Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm KG Smooth, Uncle Fonk, Jones. Good to see you, KG. Good to see you here. Another, another episode of the Public Affairs Podcast. Yes, uh, sir. And still tackling things, COVID-19. is it something? I know. I know. And um, one of the things that I know that is near and dear uh, to your heart is uh, your passion for prison reform. Yes, sir and um, prisoners are at a high risk with this COVID-19. And on the phone line that is joining us uh, this afternoon, we have the CEO and co-founder of Alliance for Safety and Justice. It's one of the country's premier. He's one of the country's premier strategists for uh, state-based criminal justice reform efforts. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Robert Rooks is on the Public Affairs Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing well.
1: How you doing, KG?
0: Man, no, no, n- everything's all good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To so, Robert, let's uh, let's let's get a little bit of your background,
2: uh, your history and, and how you got to where you are today.
1: Absolutely. Uh, thanks for asking that question. You know, I uh, grew up in Oak Cliff, Texas. Uh, I uh, moved to a town right outside of Oak Cliff uh, when I was 10. Um, During that time, uh, my mother had divorced my father and felt that she needed to leave the neighborhood to keep her son safe. That was my brother and I. And we moved to DeSoto. And at that time it was the worst decision my life, I thought. Uh, She felt she needed to do that because of what was going on in the neighborhood. And certainly, she was right. You know, at that age, 10 years old, every friend that I had at that time has since gone, and I'm 45 years old. Uh, Friends from soccer teams, friends from the neighborhood, uh, friends from church, um, have all passed away for one reason or another. And so I got involved in this idea of what the safety looked like for my community because I got tired of burying people that look like me. Um, and I went to Prairie a University. From there, I went to University of Connecticut, School of Social Work, and begin working on this intersection of criminal justice and public safety. I realized pretty early on that prisoners were not making us safe, that we had an absence of a strategy for dealing with the issues and challenges of the 80s and 90s. Um, and so because of that systemic and structural neglect, uh, we found ourselves in situations where we were burying our loved ones instead of investing in their lives, investing in our communities.
2: Hmm. So Robert, your organization does what?
1: So the Alliance for Safety and Justice, we are a national organization that consists of crime survivors, people with felony convictions and the organizations that serve them. We have over 80,000 members uh, from across the country all working towards replacing mass incarceration with safe and healthy communities. We engage at the state level. We organize to change state laws. We run ballot initiatives. We engage in legislative campaigns. We engage in in, in narrative shifting with the goal of shaping public perception's view on the use or overuse of prisons so we can invest in real community programming.
2: Excellent. Uh, as KG alluded to, and for complete transparency, uh, I am a member of the, uh, uh, the Lieutenant's House, which is a program here in Houston that uh, takes young men who've been incarcerated, young women. Uh, we provide jobs with them. We house them and provide work and are in the process of Rehabbing and, and getting them to learn skills, computer skills, writing resumes, dressing themselves for a presentation before COVID, obviously. Um, so we we're part of the David and Ivory Ministries, and we mm. we understand um, exactly what you're talking about. So we're on the same page because we, we, we know men and women of color are uh, overpopulated. In the uh, in the prison systems as it is, uh, be it right or wrong. So we 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 understand the need for programs like yours across the country, and, and KG and I once again want to say thank you for that um, and yeah. um, your time being on the on the on the podcast. So, but we're gonna we're gonna lead right into the the, the elephant in the room, and I know KG wants yeah. to get on top of it.
0: <laughs> I mean. You know, we keep hearing about how our national prisons and jails are a hotbed in terms of of COVID nineteen. Uh, eight of the ten of the largest coronavirus outbreaks in the country were uh, in prisons and jails. Um, what are, at least at this point, state and local and um, and, and county uh, facilities doing to combat? Covid nineteen, are they like you know people with lesser like traffic offenses or you know nonviolent you know drug offenses? Do they get released and they they're only keeping the um, the murderers and and raped, rapists rapists and, and and burglars or what are they doing to try to keep the numbers down in the prisons?
1: So KG, to answer your question, um, jurisdictions are handling. The issue of releases differently. Um, and that's and that and that's a problem. so so some jurisdictions in the state of California uh, has probably done the most in terms of stopping uh, people going in and making decisions regarding uh, people coming out. We've seen San Antonio jail make similar decisions. Um uh, but I actually want to answer this question by taking a step step back a minute. You see, for for years, our criminal justice system has been um, overly focused on mandatory minimums and long sentences, excessive sentences, as the way to to implement justice, right? And in a system uh, like that, people are released not because they are a threat to public safety, but they're released based on what a piece of paper says. Like right, when that person should be released and for for a while my organization has been advocating that that's not smart policy right that when when people have been held accountable and they're no longer a threat to public safety it makes no sense to continue incarcerating them um, and a majority of the people in our prisons and jails frankly fit into that into that description And so we incarcerate far too many people in this country, um, as Mr. Jones mentioned, uh, oftentimes for things that can be addressed through community services and restitution. Um, There's a brilliant uh, New York Times uh, piece written by Michelle Alexander uh, today. And and, and in the article, Michelle cites that 22% of the people in Marion prison, which is the prison um, where 80% of, of people inside uh, have tested positive for COVID-19 and 50% of the staff. Mm-hmm. 22% of the people in that prison are in on technical violations. That's, right. that's So that's basically, mm-hmm. th- these people's lives are at risk, Literally. right? Because they didn't show up to a meeting or, you know, urine may have come back. Dirty, or for any number of things that can be better dealt with locally in the community. Um, So, you know, in the context of this uh, pandemic, you know, people are in prisons and their lives are at risk. You got staff who are in prisons and lives at risk, and we are asking state and governments to participate and engage in what we call responsible releases. And frankly, it should have been done before COVID-19, and it certainly needs to happen now. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things what we what we mean when we say responsible release. First, release everyone that is at low risk to public safety. Make sure that everyone release is, is properly tested so we know exactly what people's uh, situations are as they come out of prison. Mm-hmm and make sure that when people are released they're actually supported through reentry services like 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 the one Mr. Jones was talking about like make sure those programs are invested in so that people get the help they need to ensure housing employment and 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 and, and stability uh, that certainly made sense before covid and, and and definitely now
2: so robert let me ask buddy and and maybe this is Maybe it's not. Maybe you're not the right person to ask this, but I have to put this out here. How did COVID 19 get into the prison system? Who brought it in? Yeah. So,
1: you know, <laughs> you're right. I'm 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 not an epidemiologist, and, and but I I can give you my, my my best my best guess, and that was through likely pr- pr- prison guards or or when people were were, were visited. Uh, by loved ones, you know, COVID-19 is uh, a a disease where it's a virus where you don't know if you have it, you don't have to show symptoms, Uh, you know, in order to pass it along. um, It's it's easy to engage with someone thinking that you're fully healthy and safe and thinking that they're fully healthy and safe, but one of you not. And then pass that along to someone else. So I, I would imagine either through the guards who are at home with family or with the, the, the prisoner's family um, coming in to visit.
2: It's just amazing because, you know, all the conspiracy theorists in the world mm-hmm. have already calculated why this is happening no facility in any prison that I've ever visited has the capacity in their hospitals or offices to even handle anything like this, much less the normal cuts and bruises that you might see on a daily basis. So it's, 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 it's unfortunate. It just really is unfortunate that, that these men and women are, are being subject to this, that like a lot of us, it's not our fault. We're trying to, maintain some sanity with a loved one i don't get to see them but every now and then and i don't get to touch them i'm doing the right thing by spending the time on a misdemeanor that could have been dismissed but i'm in here and now i'm sick and it's just it's just very frustrating man it's just very very frustrating
1: and and you take the, the the current uh predicament and you lay it on top of systemic and structural racism and barriers. Yes. In various. Sir. yes sir. The very fact that uh people in prison aren't seen as uh fully fully human. In in the same New York Times piece that uh uh Michelle Alexander wrote um and she 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 it was it was pivoting around a letter she received by a young man inside of Mer- Marion Prison. And in that letter he says Herein lies the cause of the profound spread of the virus throughout the institution, the collective sense of the undeservingness of prisoners right so 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 the, the point that this young man inside of prison was saying that we this doesn't have to be spreading throughout right the, the facility but only because people don't see us, as fully human as and, human. and yes, that sir. we are undeserving, right? Is this happening? And that and that was so profound, so profound. And I appreciate Michelle for, for bringing that out and that young man for, 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 for writing his story.
0: Wow. And to that point, kind of, uh, you know, we're seeing huge racial uh, disparities in terms of who is uh, contracting and dying from uh, this virus. Would you agree or that these racial disparities uh, and who is getting and dying from COVID are a direct result of decades of diverting public health resources in these communities to prisons?
1: Absolutely. Uh, COVID-19 is exploiting uh, the racial fault Mm. lines that we had decided in place. (laughs) Yes, exploiting. And so let let, let me take you through just a 50-year a 50 year journey, like in 1970s, when we, we deinstitutionalized state and mental health systems, we had an opportunity to build local public health, local mental health facilities. We had that opportunity. We did not. Instead, we built prison and jails. Mm-hmm. In the 1980s, when, when crack cocaine hit our neighborhoods and streets and, and why I, had to to leave my neighborhood in in, in the southern part of Dallas. We had an opportunity to build a public health response to addiction. We did not. Instead, we built prisons. And in the, in, the, in the in the in the 1900s and 2000s, many folks called for violence to be a public health issue. And and violence only because of our neglect of the of the 70s and 80s, right? Uh, many of us call for violence to be a public health issue resulting in uh, a, a public health system and response, uh, but we didn't do that. We continue to build prisons. So when it, when you're talking about things that have happened in the black community, we've had uh, a blank check to build prisons, but we haven't had that same check to build public health systems for our help and for our healing. Hmm and 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 that's that to me is the true kind of moment of education for us for us today. And so what's what's been the impact in Michigan, African Americans account for close to half of COVID-19 deaths even though we make up just 14% of the state population. In Mississippi, we account for 57% of deaths and we only make up 38% of the population. In New York African-Americans are 14% of the population. You have 28% of COVID-19 deaths. And in Louisiana, 58% of the people who have died of COVID-19 are Black, despite only being 32% of the population. So so we are paying for the mistakes and the inaction of the past,
0: Indeed. for sure. And, and, and it's not really helping with the private prisons being built constantly. I know here in the state of Texas, um, they were promised, these private-owned prisons here in the state of Texas were promised from the state 97% capacity.
1: Yes, yes.
0: 97% capacity was promised. Mm-hmm. That with no allegation for, but,
2: for, for reentry, no programs, to help men and women get out of this. Get, right, right. See? And those are the nuggets that will, you know, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up because you, you, it appears that the system is just throwing these folk away, or putting the amendment, throwing the key away. And and and, and thank God for, for Robert and your organization for knocking on that door and getting in these le- legislators' face and in, in the public forum to bring about meaningful change for these brothers and sisters who have very little, if any voice at all.
1: Well, thank you for that, Mr. Jones. You know, my, my organization uh, have members throughout uh, the the country and immediately when a shelter in order took place, uh, we we took 20% of our staff and, and we allocated their time to just calling people. Um, we did wellness checks. We, we call people say, "Hey, how are you doing? How are you holding up? And we just learned so much about what was what was happening and what 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 needed to happen um, in regards to uh, covid nineteen, both inside of facilities and and in the community, right? And so uh, part of those wellness checks, uh, we, we we learned that uh, people were that were being released. Um, that did not know their, their status of COVID-19 and they were in, in a bunk with someone that did have COVID-19. And so families was worried about what to do. <laughs> you know, we also learned that uh, 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 there was very little uh, support for uh, reentry uh, service programs uh, that uh, was trying to figure out if they were an essential service or not they 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 didn't know and so they didn't know if they should be out working in the community or or in home and and one of our partners in uh the, the, the doctor in Miami was was actually harassed and arrested and he, and he and he was out uh trying to help the homeless uh so so we had reentry providers that 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 just was unsure what their role role was um and then we we, we talked to folks that that needed um, a connection with their counselors and mental health providers and 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 didn't have a sense of uh how they were going to pay their their cell phone bills because it was it was, it was through the roof you know where we, we are in certainly unprecedented uh times um and we need to come together um, as a people as a community um, as organizations working on behalf of people in the community uh, to to make our 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 our, our voices heard uh, as part of our our advocacy, uh, we launch uh, the Stop the Spread uh, campaign. Uh, your listeners can go to EnsuringSafety.org. That's E-N-S-U-R-I-N-G Safety.org uh, to learn about the Stop the Spread campaign. Uh, the, the The campaign is basically asking for people to be uh, released safely into community and for stimulus dollars and future policies to ensure that our communities are properly invested in uh, so that when people come home, um, they have something to come home to. And so for those of us that are already home um, and are dealing with other challenges within um, our community that we have the support to, to meet those needs and challenges. And so I, I invite you and your listeners to please join us in our, in our advocacy. Uh, now, now is the time uh, to to make our voice heard. Uh, we're not helpless um, as a people. We 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 we've survived a lot. We've done a lot. Uh, we are a powerful people and an enduring people. And and we we just need to increase our voice and our activism in this moment of need.
2: Robert Rooks CEO and co-founder of Alliance for Safety and Justice. We're going to leave it right there. And we're going to God bless you and thank you for your efforts in all of these communities. Keep up the good work. And thank you for your time about uh thank you for your time for joining us on the podcast today, KG. Continue
0: to do what you do, bro. I mean, this is very important work. So, thank you and thank you for your time.
1: KG, Mr. Jones, thank you so much. Really appreciate you creating this space, and hopefully this isn't the last time.
2: Indeed. We thank you for your time, Mr. Rooks. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast. We'll be back right after this.